Our children who are attending Children's Church, if you would meet in the back corner, they will take you. So children, Children's Church. The rest of you, let's get our Bibles out. Let's open them up to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to pick one up over at the resource table so you can follow along. We are at Matthew chapter 6. If you're visiting, we are studying the gospel of Matthew, so we're slowly working our way through it. So we are at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses 19 to 24 this morning. Uh, This is God's holy word. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one or love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. God, as we come before you, as we uh, talk about a subject that is very relevant to us in this day and age and living in the United States, God, we pray that you would bring conviction and how often our priorities are misguided, how many times we are focused on that which is temporary while neglecting that which is eternal. May your word cut like the double-edged sword that it is today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, there's a a theme I've seen many times on uh, TV comedies. The theme is this, the two-timer date. It's been done so many times. This is what happens in the two-timer date. A person double books a date, usually a guy. And rather than not go to one of the dates, he decides that he is able to juggle both dates. So it'll usually be at a very close location. So maybe two restaurants that are side by side. And over the course of the date, what he has to continue to do is make up excuse after excuse why he is leaving the one date to go outside. So I left something in my car. I need to use the restroom. He's constantly juggling these things. I've seen it done before where also the dress attire between the two restaurants was different. And one required like a suit and tie. So he had to keep changing his outfit between dates. And as it got more and more stressful, he forgot to change. So he walks in and where he was normally, it was like a burger establishment. He's in a suit and tie. And she's like, what are you doing? He's like, I just didn't feel classy enough in that moment. And then he's bouncing back and he walks into the one place where you have to have this shirt and suit and tie. And he's got a t-shirt on and they're like, you can't. And it's just a mess. And it is, it's, it's very comical for the viewer. But what we see in all that is the balancing act of juggling two loves is not feasible. One love will inevitably win out, and usually both loves will be hurt, because our hearts are not designed to be divided. 
And what we're going to see in today's passage, that is even more true with our hearts and God. God is not okay with us sharing him with somebody else. He's not okay sharing our affections. He's not tolerant us with us loving, being consumed by, pursuing the temporary trinkets of this world. He wants, he demands our absolute devotion. There is no room for two-timing God, as we're going to see in our text today. In order to to really delve into the issue of the world and and wealth and money and possessions and our devotion to Christ, we're going to ask three questions today that we'll answer. First question is, what do you seek? What do you seek? What is uh, the, the place where your heart's desires are meant? Secondly, we're going to ask the question, how do you see? Where is your eyes focused and fixated? And then lastly, we'll ask the question, who do you serve? Who are you a slave to? So let's begin our time as we start at verse 19 and ask the question, what do you seek? Now to kind of catch us up to speed, for those of you visiting where we are contextually in the Gospel of Matthew, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and what we've seen Jesus doing, he's combating faulty living, if you remember Previously, he was uh, dealing with faulty or wrong beliefs, and we've seen him address three spiritual uh, works that they were doing for the wrong motives. They were giving wrongly, they were praying wrongly, and they were fasting wrongly. Now he's kind of transitioning focus to where their, their priorities are misguided. Well, as we ask the question, what do you seek? First part we want to look at is, Do the treasures last? Treasures that last. Read verse 19 with me. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So, first, let's look at the prohibition that they need to not pursue wealth as the end all and be all. To lay up is the idea to stack, uh, uh, to gather, uh, to accumulate. It's indicative of the bumper sticker I saw once where a person was driving a very fancy sports car and on the bumper sticker it said, he who dies with the most toys wins. So the stacking, is, it's the, the, the sense where it's just getting bigger and bigger. If, if you were looking at a casino and somebody was at a table and they kept winning, their chips would get growing and growing and growing. And, and that's what Jesus is prohibiting. A couple thoughts as we move on though. One, and we'll see this throughout, Jesus is not against wealth, okay? Jesus is not against money. Jesus uses wealth and money often as a means by which he can carry out his purposes and wills. The issue is when it becomes the consuming force, the aim in life, the target. So, so being wealthy is not like a, a sin or a punishment. It's if the wealth is what consumes you, that is the problem. Also, when we start talking about these treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth, we need to understand they go beyond possessions, do you understand that? It's not simply that cut and dry where when we, we store up treasures in this world, it's all about money and, and your cars and your houses. No, here's some other things that we store up treasures in heaven or on earth. 
when we seek man's approval, prestige, fame, positions of power and authority, reputation to name a few. Those are ways that we are storing up treasures on earth. It's this idea of just gathering wealth. Luke 12, 18, Jesus was telling a parable. In the parable, the person said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And then he goes on and then he says he'll be able to just kind of rest and be merry. And Jesus is like, yeah, your life is going to be taken from you right now. So you're doing all this storing for no purpose. Why? Because they don't last. Listen to what he says. Moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. How do moths destroy? What moths do is they'll lay eggs, the larvae will eat the clothes. So, and it doesn't matter how expensive or inexpensive the clothes are, and it doesn't matter how rich you are, they get in there and do that, they will destroy it. Now, where it says rust, it's, it's debatable if it's actually saying rust, which is true. Things decay, but the word actually used is often used more in the neighborhood of food. And what happens to food in due season? It decays, right? It, it rots. It rots uh, from, from various reasons. And then the last thing we see in all of it is what? Thieves. They come in and steal possessions. So no matter how wealthy you are, those are real possibilities. The things that you have can rot and decay. They can be destroyed by different things. And ultimately, they can be stolen from you. They won't last. Are you one who is storing up treasures in heaven? Are you one who are storing up earthly treasures? What are those treasures that you are focused on? Today, Why are you so consumed by it? Because what we're trying to get at is at the heart in all of this. So not only the prohibition, uh, the, the pursuit, so it goes to verse 20. So instead of doing that, Jesus says this, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we see is the reality for you and I, and I know this is difficult, Job said this, naked I came, how am I going to go? Naked I go. You can't take it with you. Have you ever heard that? I mean, it, it, it's true. You, you, you can't take it with you. So instead of trying to take it with us, because we can't, we need to kind of transition our focus rather than storing up treasures in this world to store up treasures in heaven. What do they look like? Paul talks about it. First Timothy 6.18, he says, Do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure. Because that's what matters. That's what lasts. It's, it's untouchable. I mean, that's the difference with this world's possessions and these eternal rewards that we speak of. I mean, is anybody here ever, as, as the older people, so anybody over here at the age of 50, have you been able to, to survive with one car your whole life? Why not? We don't have any 30, 40-year-old cars that are running like, no, because what? They decay. Imagine a car that once you have it, it never rusts, the engine never breaks down, it's invincible. That would be a good car, right? And what he's saying in a spiritual realm that the treasures that we store up in heaven, they last. First Peter 1, 4, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven. That these are the treasures that are protected. There is a reward sense. I remember a song when I first started walking with Jesus in the 90s. I don't know how theologically sound it was, but the principle of the song I got, it was by an artist named Eli, and it was called the Lumber Song. And the theme was, that's all the lumber you sent. That's all the lumber you sent. So he was able to be up in heaven. As he's in heaven, he's being guided through heaven. And it finally gets to the, the house that God had, had prepared for him. And when he got to the house, it was a shack. And he was so confused. And he was basically told, that's all the lumber you sent. In other words, that is all you, you didn't focus on the things of eternity. You were so focused on the transient nature. And I think for a lot of us, if we're really being honest, if we're really being transparent, for a lot of us, our focus is this world. In a given day, in a given week, in a given month, man, we store up treasures on this earth. We focus our time, our energy, our resources day in and day out on this world, on stuff that doesn't last all the while neglecting those things that will last for an eternity. And that's what Jesus is confronting. Can you think of examples even in your own life right now? Where are you storing up treasures in heaven? What are you doing that has eternal, lasting significance? Because we see not only the treasures that last, we see, say, it's a telltale of love. And this is where, it, as you're reading it, if you're really listening, hopefully some of you are unsettled sitting in your seat, kind of like, ouch. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where your treasure and pursuits are, speak of what you love and who you love. Speaking of love, I love Life360 app. Who here has Life360? Raise your hand. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's an amazing app. It can be free. You can also pay for it and have more features. But what it does is it uses the GPS on your phone. So if somebody has the Life360 and you, you, you can't just do it on everybody, all right? You have to actually get them to agree to it. So it's not like, I have Life360. I know where you were, Tim, this week. You went to that restaurant too many times. No, you, you don't have that kind of access. But like with family, with the kids, I'm able to watch. But here's the catch with Life360. It only works as if they have their phone with them. Luckily, kids that have phones have their phones with them at all times. So it's, it's very simple. They go hand in hand. Thinking of that, phone, child, always together. Our heart and our pursuits always together. That's why this is a heart issue. Think of the Pharisees, constantly trying to get Jesus. Luke 16, 14, Jesus says to them, you cannot serve God in money. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. Because their pursuit and their hearts were hand in hand, and it was money, not God. They appeared religious, but at the end of the day, their real God was not God. It wasn't Yahweh. It was money. It's not just, not just Pharisees. I think a great example of this is Solomon. As you look in the Bible, his heart's aim was constantly everything but God, it seemed. Ecclesiastes 5.10 
He even said, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income, because it's also vanity, because the more you have, the more you want. And Solomon knew it. He lived the life. But it wasn't just that. His heart was not just uh, divested with, with, with money and God. No, it was also women and pleasure. First Kings 11.3, he says, His wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. David, a man after God's own heart, Solomon was not that, because his heart was divided. What you value will capture your heart, guaranteed. So introspection time. Where is your heart? When you wake up, what is the first thing you think about? Over the course of the day, what do you give your thoughts most to? What do you worry about? What's your greatest fear? What scares you? What, what is your biggest concern of losing What can you not be happy without? And what do you use to measure other people? Your perceptions of other people, how you, because we all do it, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, we judge people. What is the parameters by which you do that? Is it earthly success? That they're well-dressed, that they're, personalities are dynamic or like what are those things because I think as we start thinking about these and if we're really really being true with one another it should be convicting because we're starting to see where our heart really is and many a times it's not with God it's with this world it's with this world we ask the question what do we seek treasures that last It's a telltale of our love. Well, how do you see? We start seeing how faithful we are, and that's when we start noticing how important our eyes are. We have a need for healthy eyes. Continue on with me. It says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Jesus is emphasizing the whole body, do you understand? He's already dealt with the heart, now he's dealing with our sight. That it's not just a heart issue, it's an, it's an eye issue. A healthy heart is important, but so are healthy eyes. In the health world, bad eyes can often be a sign of bigger problems. Diabetes often will go hand in hand with having eye and vision issues. That's just one of many examples. And the same is true spiritually. If your eyes are not right, your heart will probably not be right spiritually. That's why Paul, listen to what Paul prayed. For all the things he could pray to the Ephesians, for the Ephesians, Ephesians 1.17, he says, may, uh, may he give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. That he wants them to be able to what? To see where it says healthy, it could actually be translated clear, single in focus, to, to see rightly. It's what we read in Hebrews 12 too. Let us fix our eyes on who? 
on Jesus. It, it's looking at the right target. I, I don't know about you, but have you ever been blindfolded to do something? Anybody? Is it easier to be blindfolded or not blindfolded? Everybody, it's harder if you cannot see through the blindfold. I remember I was doing a chapel at Toledo Christian once, and I blindfolded a kid, and he had to shoot at a target, and I had a kid who didn't. And guess who did a really good job? The kid who was not blindfolded. And Jesus is saying, like, if you have healthy eyes, the blindfold is off. You're looking rightly. You're seeing rightly. And notice also the language is not just your eye and your sight. It's tied to light. Why is light important? Because in the Bible, what is light symbolic of? Of God, of righteousness, of, of purity. First John 1 7 says, If you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus is his son, cleanses us from all our sin. This room is there's minimal windows, it's just the hallways. If we were to shut all four lights off, it gets dark in here. It does. Trust me, we're not gonna do it. But how difficult would it be to walk out of this place if we shut all the lights off, chairs everywhere, people everywhere? We'd be running into people. It would be a hot mess. But with the lights off, most of the time, you guys are able to walk out of here without stumbling and falling, right? And that's what he's saying. It's just the idea of fixating our eyes rightly. Uh, the word also for healthy can be tied to generosity, so healthy eyes are generous. They're focused on God. They're spirit-led. They have a right aim, right focus. Colossians 3, it's that idea of setting our minds on things above. So let's do a vision check right now. How good is your sight? Where is your eyes fixed on? Are you, are you seeing Clearly. Because we need, see not only this need for healthy eyes, there's a note on harmful eyes. But then he goes on, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Bad eyes and vision are a problem. Do you understand that? Not seeing rightly will lead to a whole slew of other issues. State of Ohio to drive an automobile, your eye, that's why every year when, or every time you go get your license renewed, what's one of the things they make you do? The eye test. You have to have better than 2070 vision in both eyes in the state of Ohio, with or without lenses. But like, for me, that bothers me that somebody's out there driving with 2070. If you don't know what 2070 is, close your eyes. That's basically, it, I mean, it's not that bad, but it's bad. That's not good. I'm just, I even thought of that as I looked up and then I'm driving and this person was like in both lanes. I'm like, 2070. <laughs> Pilots, with or without corrected lenses, they need to have 2020. Thank you. I don't want some 2070 guy fly, landing a plane for me that I'm on. No thank you. You see, bad eyes on a spiritual realm have even far greater consequences. 2 Timothy 4.10, we read about somebody who had really bad eyes. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. The Demas' eyes were bad. They were fixed on the world. One of the first people to have bad eyes, and at first they didn't have them, but the eyes led to it is what? Is Eve. Think of the garden. 
when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, her eyes, her eyes were a problem. They were perfect still until sin enters in, but her eyes saw, she delighted in it. The tree was a desire to make one wise. She took of it and ate. She wasn't looking. Here's the issue with Eve in the garden. It wasn't necessarily her eyes were bad, but what she was looking at was bad. She was focused on the one thing she was not allowed to have rather than focus on all of the things that she could have. Rather than fixating on, on that temptation, she could have said, but yeah, I can have this tree, and I can have this one, and I can have this one, and I can have this one. Or she could even have been more like, you know, where's God? I'm just going to go talk to God. I don't even need you, Satan. You see, spiritual blindness is manifested with, with darkness, with, with selfishness. Proverbs 23, 4 do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flies away like an eagle toward heaven. You see these bad eyes, it's the opposite of generosity. It's consumed by the world. It opens up Pandora's box of other problems. Proverbs 2.13, for those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. And what I think we see happening in this as we start talking about these harmful eyes, it's not as obvious to you and I in, on the surface. When our eyes are kind of fixated wrongly, I think sometimes we don't realize how wrong it, it is. It, I would say kind of what we were talking about a little bit ago with driving, it's the blind spot. Because I've driven before and I didn't notice a car was in my blind spot. And by God's grace, I did not hit that car when I swerved over. They moved out of the way. They beeped, maybe gave gestures towards me. As they probably should have because I completely was not, I did not see. And I think a lot of us, as we start talking about this, there's some spiritual blind spots going on. Because you're like, well, I'm, I'm not looking at inappropriate stuff online. I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing My eyes are good. Are they? Are, are they good? thought about one practically as we're thinking through this this week. And this is directed towards parents, okay? How are you going to measure your kid's success in this world? Are you okay with your child growing up and having a lower income, under prestigious job. But they love Jesus. They're in a godly marriage. They're raising their kids up in the ways of the Lord. But they're making minimal money. They actually can't even afford a house. They're in a, an apartment, maybe in not the best part of town. How would you measure that as a parent? Or your, one, your other child highly successful, six-figure job, has gadgets and possessions and just all of that stuff, is in an unhealthy marriage, isn't walking with Jesus, which one are you more proud of? Because I think we have a tendency, if we're really, if we're being candid with one another, we're more proud of the kid who's successful in the world's eyes. Like, he's a doctor. He's a this. I couldn't even think of the job that I was going to kind of compare on the negative side. Because, like, why is it, like, why does that stuff, and that's why I'm saying this because you and I, our eyes are not as good as we think they are. 
But it's not just like our kids, people that we esteem and value, all of those things, those things we desire. Our eyes are so fixated on the world, and it is not good. I mean, we're going to see this later in Matthew. Jesus is going to say something that is so practical. What good is it if you gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? Or are you fixing your eyes on the wrong things today? Have you lost sight of what matters? Do you see the gravity of the situation? Maybe today's the day you need to confess. You need to repent. Because this is not the eyes of the follower of Jesus Christ, this world. I mean, that's why if you've noticed, there was a pattern in the songs that we sang this morning. And what was that pattern? Give me Jesus. Jesus is better. That's the focus. That's what matters. This world doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, comparatively. So we ask the question, what do we seek? Treasures that last, telltale of love. How do you see your healthy eyes versus harmful eyes? Well, who is our master who controls us? Who are we a slave to is the last uh, illustration that Jesus uses in this subject. First of all, we're going to see that there is conflict. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, love the other, devoted to the one, and despise the other. The problem with a master and a slave is masters want control. And rarely would there be a situation where there would be two masters because they would have to relinquish some of the control. All right, I want you to think in a work environment. Have you ever been in a work environment where you had two bosses who told you to do different things in conflict with one another? Maybe children, have you ever been at home and parents told you to do two different things? I remember at UPS, I was there. I got told clearly to do one thing. A peer boss, neither of them were my direct superior, told me to do something totally opposite. So I started doing the one thing I was told. That person came, told me to do something else, switched doing something else. The initial person came back, why are you not doing that? He told me this, well, he's not in charge of you. So then I went back to him, and then I, he's like, why are you doing that? And I felt, like, I felt like literally I was the rope in the tug of war. So back and forth. So I got so tired of it, I went to the boss. And he said, neither of them are in charge. You do what I say. And then he had me do a third thing that was unrelated to all of it. And I, I think we, we need to understand first century concept, masters, slaves. Person was, had very little control, had uh, basically in some sense a possession to somebody. And they had to be obedient. And each master is going to have an agenda. And that's where the tension is, because we're starting to see that there's two masters that Jesus is speaking of here with the person. We see it similar with the spirit-flesh battle. Romans 6, 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? You understand what's going on then is these masters... These controlling forces are in war with one another. Spirit, flesh, as we're going to see here, God and money and, and the world. And there's this tug of war for your heart, for your affections. And what we'll see happen, even in my example, between the two, 
I was more prone to listen to the one boss because I liked the person more. The other one, oh, I just did not like that individual. Anytime I could have a reason to not do what he wanted me to do, I would run at that. And that's kind of what happens when we have these two conflicting reports. We see this with two people in the New Testament. One is Judas. He had two masters. He had God and he had money. And what did he choose? He chose money. He betrayed Christ for for pieces of silver. And then we got Paul. Who did Paul choose? Paul chose Christ. Philippians 3.8, I count everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my my Lord. So we need to ask, is there a war waging within us? Or do you feel the tension of trying to serve two masters who is winning spiritually in your life? Is it the spirit? Is it the flesh? Is it, is it God? Is it money? Like what, who, who is ultimately where our hearts are directed? Because not only is there a conflict, there's a choice. Listen how he ends this. And this is, this is practical. This is uh, an imperative. He says, you cannot serve God and money. There's no middle ground. There's no fence to straddle. Speaking of fences, I had no idea that this was such a problem, but there are a countless number of videos online of deer stuck between fences. Deer, like, you know, Bambi, trying to get over the fence. And they jump over and something goes awry and they get stuck maybe between uh, fencing, like metal fencing that's part of the fence, whatever it is. And you've got these videos where deers do not like being stuck between fences. That's what I've learned. And getting them out is kind of dangerous. Uh, but you, if you don't get them out, they're going to die being in this predicament. You don't want to be stuck between the two. And, and spiritually speaking, you, you can't. It's not that it's not good to be stuck between the two. You can't be stuck between the two. It's one or the other. You pick a side. We've already seen Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. He challenges people to pick a side. Uh, Matthew 4, 19, when Jesus comes along to the disciples, what does he say? Follow me and I will take you, make you fishers of men. And what do they do? They leave their nets, they follow him. It's a choice. Now they could have chose to not follow him, but they, they chose to follow him. A little bit later in Matthew 19, Jesus is talking to a rich young man. And Jesus says, sell all your possessions, give it away. And it said, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He made a choice, didn't he? What was the choice? The world. I'm not willing. I'm not willing to give up. I'm not willing to sacrifice. And I think as we consider this subject, as we consider the world, as we consider Christ, you and I, we have a choice to make. Is it Jesus or is it the world? There's no middle ground. And I think that's frustrating for most of us because we want the middle ground. I want Jesus. I want primarily Jesus, but can I have a little world? Come on, there's some really cool stuff in this world. I, my heart wants to have a little of the world. Okay, I'll devote uh, 90% of my heart to Jesus, 10% to the world. And Jesus is like, nope, I want it all. I'm not willing to share Joshua 24, 15. If it's evil in your sight to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. 
whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, the gods of the Amorite, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I would argue each and every day, it's like you and I are going into the voting booth. And there's the ballot. And there's no write-in candidates. And we have two choices. We have God or we have world. And every day we cast a vote. Every day. It happens. And you're going to see it play itself out in how you spent your day, how you lived your life, how you invested your time, how you invested your money. But you are making a choice. There is even a non-choice is a choice. We must be all in. What's your choice today? Not just your words. I mean, it's great we sing a song, give me Jesus. In the morning, give me Jesus. When I die, give me Jesus. But you could say that, and yet your life and your heart say everything contrary to that. Your heart is saying and your life is saying, give me the world. Give me that new car. Give me more money in my bank account. Give me that expensive vacation. Give me, give me, give me, but then also give me Jesus. It's one or the other. Does your life give evidence to what your, your true answer is? I think part of the problem in all of this as we wrap up our time is we don't know the value of what we have. That's the issue. The reason you and I are so enamored with the world is because we think the world is so much more valuable than it really is. And we think Jesus is so less valuable than he really is. This woman down south, uh, she was with her friend. Uh, They're picking up some stuff at Goodwill. And I've actually never seen this at a Goodwill, but the particular Goodwill they were at had wedding dresses, like legit wedding dresses. Well, as she was looking through, she was expecting kind of comical wedding dresses, like you're not wearing that in 2023. And she found one that was really nice. And she went and tried it on and it was amazing. She's not even getting married yet. So she's, she's a planner. She's like, I do have a boyfriend. I wonder how scared the boyfriend was. Like, I got her wedding dress already. But the wedding dress, she bought it for $25. Sweet. Well, they ended up doing research and stuff. It's a a very prestigious designer's dress. It values off the rack at $6,200. She had no idea. She said this is kind of a nice dress. She had no idea that it was so valuable. And I think that's a spiritual problem that we have. We place way too much value on the trinkets of this world. We're so proud of what we've accumulated. And I, like I said, this is beyond possessions. This is beyond our bank account. It's beyond the number of cars you have, the size of your house, uh, your vacation places, all that stuff. It's way more than that. It's our, our fame, our power-hungry grab, man's approval, reputation, the boards and the committees you're a part of that all give you kind of self-validation. But friends, here's the deal. You have all of that stuff, but you don't have Jesus. You are bankrupt. You are poor. You are destitute. Now, you could have some of that stuff and have Jesus, and that's cool. 
But what really matters is what? That you have Jesus. Friends, us having God is infinite value and worth. It's riches beyond measure. And I think what we need desperately is for God to give us eyes to see that. And hearts to believe that. That Jesus is better. That he is the treasure. That the riches of this world are fleeting, but the riches of Christ are imperishable. So I'm being serious. Not just every day, but even every hour, you are going into that voting booth and you have a ballot and you're casting it. God or world, what's your choice going to be? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And one, we, we confess our divided hearts. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for forgiveness for our unfaithfulness. Even as we study the scriptures, uh, so many times you equate our unfaithfulness with spiritual adultery. Just as Israel was so unfaithful to you, so we are in our devotion and our commitment to this world. So God, not only do we ask for forgiveness, we pray for repentance. We pray that your spirit would guide us, that direct us, that Lord, even in the wealth and riches that we might have in this world, that we would hold on to them ever so loosely. That, Lord, we would hold on to them knowing that you've given us, you've blessed us so that we can bless others. So that we would be generous in giving. That we would not be so concerned about building up this giant nest egg so we can hide and and just live it up the remaining of our life. But, Lord, that we would look this as a way by which we can advance your kingdom. We pray today, Lord, that when we cast that vote, it would be you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.